We are continuing our study through the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. In Luke, this is his account of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I spoke to someone this week who called me up, and um, I, I have folks who I've known throughout my life who occasionally give me a call and want to just kind of have theological discussions about various things. And uh, this person called me up and said, um, the church that they are presently at, they have someone there who has challenged them and the Sermon on the Mount. Like, why are we even reading the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, this, what does this have to do with us? You know, that was the old covenant. That was Jesus speaking to the Jews. I mean, what does that have to do with us? Um, it's an interesting question as those things go. Uh, this is the word of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. And uh, when Jesus speaks, I suspect we should, you know, probably pay attention. That's not necessarily a bad idea. Uh, Jesus is speaking about the character and the way in which God interacts with us, and so we can interact with one another in a godly fashion. And whether that's occurring under the Old Covenant, which Jesus was preaching under the Old Covenant, but he's preaching under the Old Covenant the grace of God, the spirit of the law. You have heard it said, you shall not kill, but I say to you that if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. So it's not just a matter of the letter of the law. It's a matter of looking into our heart. Do we truly love our brother? Do we truly care for one another? The standard that Jesus is setting in the Sermon on the Mount is so much higher than the Mosaic Law. It, it literally reaches down to the heart, which, of course, was true under the Old Covenant as well. If you, if you paid any attention at all to what was going on in the Old Testament, to those who were godly, for instance, David. David commits this horrific sin with Bathsheba, right? Well, how does David react to that? Does David say, okay... I guess if I'm going to get, get things right with God, we better, we better gather up all the flocks of Israel and we better murder every sheep we got. We, we better just have the country run red with sheep's blood. And when we're done that, we better get all the oxen and kill all them too. I mean, is that David's response? David is like, no, what God actually wants is a broken and contrite heart. It's not like God really needs the blood of a bunch of bulls or goats. What God is concerned about is my heart. It's my spirit. It's who I am. Am I broken and contrite before God? Well, that's all under the Old Covenant. That is the Old Covenant, right? So the Old Covenant speaks to the heart. And the Sermon on the Mount is a complete remedy to the harsh, legalistic, pharisaicalism in which they just sat in judgment on everyone. Jesus is trying to come in and say, Okay, that was the wrong way to look at the law of Moses. That was the wrong way to look at the old covenant. And now we're in the new covenant, and so it's even more full. It's even more about who we are. It's more about our heart. It's more about the transformation that the relationship with God brings to us. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we are looking at Jesus explaining to us how to have a great relationship with each other and with God. So we pick up, and just for a second here, to put some context, verse 34, Jesus speaking to this new level of morality. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, well, what credit is that to you? 
even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The love of the world is the love of the quid pro quo. That is kind to kind. I'm going to do for you what you do for me. We may have plausible deniability. That's part of quid pro quo. But what we're going to do is I'm going to do something nice for you and you're going to do something nice for me. And it's all going to work out well because, well, we're, we're nice to one another. So if we throw a big party and we want to know who to invite because it's going to be an expensive party and it's going to have a lot of things and we're going to bring good food and a lot of good stuff is going to be brought to it and frankly for every single person who arrives there we're going to spend a certain chunk of money. Well, the temptation is to only invite the people to that party who you know down the road are going to invite you to one of equal value somewhere in the future. That's the challenge. That's the temptation. That's, we're kind of, we, we want to be generous, but come on, you know, not too generous, right? Jesus is coming to us and saying, look, when you throw a party, invite people who you know for an absolute fact are never going to be able to invite you to anything even vaguely resembling this. Invite them anyway. Be kind anyway. Be gracious. Be compassionate. Be merciful. If you have the wherewithal to be generous, Be generous. Don't do some kind of a morality based on, well, I'm only going to be kind to people who will be kind to me. I'm only going to show mercy and kindness and grace and compassion to those who I'm fairly certain are going to return it to me because, boy, if you cross me, watch out. I don't get mad. I get even. Okay, no Christian should ever be saying those kinds of words. That is just completely opposite of what Jesus is speaking to here. He is speaking deliberately to the idea that we should love like God loves. Exactly how is it that God loves? Who is it God loves? Well, for a goodly man, some would die, and for a righteous man, maybe a few would die. But God, God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Jesus died, no one stood with him. I mean, think about this. He's on trial. He's completely innocent, which, by the way, absolutely everyone there knows he is. No one defends him. Peter wanted to get out his sword, thinking maybe this is the moment we're going to bring in the kingdom. And when Jesus is like, put away your sword, we're not, that, we're, we're not fighting this, this that way. Peter runs for his life like everybody else does. So none of the disciples stand up for Jesus. None of the people he's healed stand up for him. None of, no one stands up for Jesus. He is completely and utterly alone. While the Romans proceed to unjustly try him, convict him, and crucify him. Jesus gives the example. You remember he says that there was the guy who owned the vineyard. And he lent it out. And he sent one of his servants to, and at the end of the year, after the crop had been brought in, and whatever the vineyard was growing, probably grapes, and they had they made all the grape juice and had sold it all. He sent a servant to go, you know, 
it's, it's his vineyard. I mean, he lent it to them. Okay, time to pay the, the rent. Oh, instead of paying the rent, they took a servant and beat him. Sent him out with nothing. So he sent several servants, and, and some they beat, and some they killed. And he thought, well, all right, I'll send my son. Surely they'll have respect for my son. I mean, he's the heir to the vineyard. So he does. He sends his son, and what do they do? They, they plot together and say, oh, this is the heir. If we kill him, we get to keep the vineyard. Now, what in the world made him think that? I, I'm not really sure. That's clearly not clear thinking. If they, But anyway, that's what they thought. And so they did. They killed him. And Jesus, of course, says, what should we do with the people who acted like that? Well, we all know what you should do. Rain down fire and brimstone on them, right? Okay, that's us. It's us. We did that. We did not stand for Jesus. The whole world just walked away when Jesus was unjustly convicted and unjustly crucified. And I just all kind of sit back and watch it happen. No one. We are born enemies of God. We're born into the wrong kingdom. We're born in rebellion. We're born with a, with a desire to rebel against God and to say, not, not God's will, my will. That's what I want. What I want is what I want. God can look out for himself. That's his business. I want what I want. That, that's, we're all born that way. We're all born with that kind of a nature. So when God looked out onto this world and said, I am going to save some of these folks, Those are the only folks to choose from. Enemies. People who hate him. People in rebellion. People who are selfish. People who are sinners. People who don't care about God. Those are the people that God saves. Those are the people Jesus died for. This is how God loves us. He loves wicked people. He loves sinners. Real sinners. Not fake sinners. Real sinners. You know, tax collectors. Immoral people. Those kinds of people. He loves them. God loves them. So should we. And this is the context in which Jesus brings this sermon. This is the undescribable love of God for people. And so he says, I've got this new morality. I've got this new standard by which I want you to interact with folks. I want you to think carefully about how you represent me, God says. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to to lend to people that you would not normally lend to. I want you to give to people you would not normally give to. I, I want you to just be kind to everyone. Gracious, merciful. In fact, to get into this morning's passage, verse 37, I don't want you sitting in judgment on people. This is carrying on the exact thought that is in the entire passage. That is, I want you to treat others as you want them to treat you. Have you ever been the target of slander or gossip or evil speaking? Have you ever had people say bad things about you, lie about you? You ever, you ever had people say stuff that, that's just mean? I mean, they said it specifically for the purpose of hurting you. Well, how is that? Not so good, right? Well, guess what? If you don't want people doing that to you, becoming the judge and the jury and the executioner, don't do that to others. Don't sit in judgment and condemn other people. 
You want a chance to explain, right? You want a chance to justify and to say, well, wait a minute. I don't think you have these circumstances exactly correct. This is what actually happened. And my intentions were this. And I was genuinely trying to do the right thing. Yeah, and then I want to hear it. Then I don't want to hear it. Then I don't care. Then I don't care. Don't, don't give me any excuses. You're guilty and you know it. Okay. Who wants to, who wants to have that kind of a relationship with anybody? And I sure hope none of your marriages have gotten to the place where that kind of conversation is occurring in your marriage. Should never, by the way. I hope it's not occurring in your family. Don't be the person who simply passes judgment on everyone around you. Don't be that person. Don't be the person who just condemns. Well, I know what their problem is. And then you just have a long list of whatever their problem is. Be careful about being the person who knows what everyone's problem is. Don't do this. Don't feel that, well, because you know the Bible and because you know God and because you understand the biblical standard, you therefore have the freedom to sit around and decide whether everyone else meets the biblical standard. Be careful about being the condemning person. When we particularly interact with the world, don't be that person. The world already thinks we look down our long self-righteous nose at them. They already think we do that. The last thing we need to do is actually do that. The world acts like the world. Okay, they do. It's not our job to sit in judgment on the world. Don't worry, God is going to take care of them. Here's, here's the reality. You know those people that you perhaps don't really like and that you're tempted to <clears throat> condemn loudly? Those may be the very people God wants to save. You should pray for those folks. You should be very careful about sitting in condemnation on them, particularly if they're not saved. We'll get in a second here to the passage that deals with people in the church. But the fact is that God loves sinners. That's who God loves. He loved us. Who are we? None of us are perfect, and God loved us. Guess what? Those folks you know who you're perhaps really upset with who aren't perfect, God loves them too. And perhaps we should try to display the love of God to them. Maybe the message we should give them is, you know, there's forgiveness. There is kindness from God. There is compassion from God. There is the love of God that is available to you. And, and I, I understand where you would be coming from. And, and we all know what it's like to have. It's not like we lost our sin nature. We still have one. We try not to give into it, though. But we can understand how those folks who don't know God and don't know the word of God, who perhaps hate God, we can look at them and say, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I understand. I know I used to think just like that. And I know where that road leads. And it leads to misery and 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 hopelessness, and I'm here to offer you hope, even though you hate me, even though you lie about me, even though it's okay. It's okay. I am not going to be the person who condemns everyone out there. Now, 
I do want to be clear that Jesus is not making the statement here that we should not engage in any kind of moral judgment at all, that we shouldn't have any kind of discernment. He's not, he's not talking about that. He's not suggesting that we just become all moral people who say nothing about whatever goes on and that people can, you can murder my neighbor and I'll just go, oh, well, you know, who am I to judge? Okay, he's not, that's, he's not talking about that, okay? That is not what this passage is addressing. In fact, in the sermon in Matthew, when he gives the exact same admonition, don't judge, I, he goes on just a couple of verses later and says to them, don't give what is holy to the dogs and don't throw your pearls before swine as they trample them underfoot and turn around and come and tear you to pieces. Well, okay, how in the world are you going to know who the dogs are or who the swine are in this, in this example if you don't have some kind of moral discernment? He's not suggesting you shouldn't have moral discernment. Paul will write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5 and he'll say this, what I actually wrote to you was to not associate with a so-called Brother, if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with those folks. But he says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do not judge those. Do you not judge those who are in the church? But those who are outside, God judges them. So in the church, we'll just get this in a second, Let me do a couple more verses here to show that we need discernment. Paul says, look, if I or an angel from God preaches to you any other gospel than the one I preached, let it be accursed. Well, that requires discernment, right? 1 John says, don't believe every spirit. So Jesus isn't saying we should be morally neutral or that we shouldn't make evaluations. But the fact is that the world, the world acts like the world. The world does what the world does. We shouldn't be shocked by it. We shouldn't be surprised by it. And we shouldn't sit around and condemn them. Now, if someone comes into the church and they begin acting, like the list here, if they are immoral or covetous or idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, well, yeah, in the church, we're going to come to this person and say, you have named the name of Christ and you have declared yourself to be a Christian. Um, We're going to ask you to please... Live like that. Not under some legal obligation here, but because that's what we're trying to do as Christians. We're trying to display the love and the compassion of God, and we don't do that when we steal from people. If we're swindling, if we're lying, if we're cheating, if we're going out and living immorally, well, that's that's not exactly displaying the love of God here. And so it's not a matter of no judgment we do evaluate people in the church. And there is a standard that we should strive to lovingly help each other uphold. And even that, we're not doing it in some kind of legalistic fashion. We're doing it in a a way in which we're trying to help each other to lead a righteous life. But sinners, they act like sinners. Share the gospel with them. Tell them God loves them anyway. Tell them God is willing to forgive them. Tell them that there is redemption, that there is forgiveness. Don't worry, they're probably not going to want to hear that either. And they may continue to speak evil of you, but you know what? They might not. They might suddenly find that that is the very message they've been waiting for someone to tell them. That we're certainly not going to have as much success if we just stand back and condemn them. They're sinners. It's not like that's news. You know, it's, do, you, do you really know anybody who thinks they're perfect? I mean, really? Nobody thinks they're perfect. Okay, well, let's start from there. 
God loves imperfect people. Do not, the verse goes on, judge not, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. This is a word specifically used for a legal setting. This was when the judge, having heard the case, passes his sentence. You pass a sentence. Well, be be careful about passing sentences on people. Be careful about writing folks off. Be careful about going, well, that's it. They're guilty. It's over. I have determined. I have judged that this is is the end. Um, This is not, it is not our job to go around condemning people. We're not called to do that. Don't condemn folks. It doesn't mean that you might not say that that standard that they're trying to set would be not a biblical standard, and we are trying to impose the biblical standard. I mean, we we certainly can advocate for the biblical standard, but we're not to be the judge and the jury and the final arbitrator of exactly what it is that God is doing. We don't really know what God is doing. I was reading a book the other day. Uh, It was a book on worship, and it was written by this guy uh, who had actually committed adultery with his neighbor's wife and then had her husband killed so, so he wouldn't get caught. Can you imagine? And then he wrote a book on worship, how to worship God. It's called David and the Psalms, right? I mean, you have heard of that, right? David's a sinner. Well, guess what? So are we. We have to be careful. I mean, have you actually read the story of Samson? Have you actually opened up the book and read about the life of Samson? And you know who Delilah was, right? I mean, I don't even have to say the word, right? We all know who Delilah was. What is this guy doing? Yet God used him to deliver the children of Israel. He was a chosen vessel of God. We have to be careful about standing in judgment, the final judgment, on people. We have no idea what kind of relationship people have with God and what God is doing in their lives and how God is working in their lives. And I am so thrilled that God is the final judge and not me. Ultimately, God will pass judgment. And we will see, and the books will be open, and we will all know exactly who did what and what they were thinking and what their motives were, and every secret thought will be revealed, and we'll find out that probably many people we thought were quite righteous weren't anywhere near as righteous as we thought they were, and many people who we perhaps think are quite wicked were actually not quite as wicked as we thought they were. We, it'll all be open. And by the way, our lives will be open. Which is why Paul says, uh, be careful and just answer for yourself. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So be careful about sitting around in judgment on everybody else. Let God take care of that. Let, Let God take care of that. Don't condemn. Don't pass final judgment on people. Oh, that person will never get saved. How in the world do you know that? You don't know that. 
pray for those people who you are most likely to condemn. Pray that God will open their eyes, that they will hear the gospel, that someone next to them, their mother or or a child or a neighbor or someone will get the gospel to them and they will be gloriously saved to the great glory of God. It happens. Sinners get saved. Pray that God would do that. He goes on to say, pardon and you will be pardoned. Now, the word pardoned here, this is the, this is the word for, um, it's used in many places, but one of the major uses of it is the word divorce. When you get a divorce, what you do is you had this relationship, you were involved in this relationship, there were mutual obligations and all kinds of things that go along with marriage, and when you get divorced, well, all of that, it, it's undone. It, you separate. You no longer have this relationship. So when you pardon people, what you're doing is you're taking their sin and you're letting it go. You let it go. They are sinners, yes. They have sinned against you, yes. They have said bad things about you, yes. What are you going to do about that? Pardon them. Let it go. Let it go. Does it make them innocent? No. Does it mean that God isn't going to catch up with them down the road and cause them to reap the things that they have sown? Well, yes, God is going to do that. In fact, turn it over to God. But as far as you're concerned, just let it go. Don't hold it against them anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to invite them over to your house and you have to eat supper with them. But it does mean that you, you're ready to forgive them in a moment's notice. You are willing, the, the moment that they come to you and ask for forgiveness, you will just bestow it. And you're, you're not going to bed thinking about it and getting up in the morning thinking about it and sitting at supper thinking about it. If you have an issue that is consuming you like that. I mean, you just cannot, you're just ruminating on it. Every time you fall asleep at night, you're lying there with your head on the pillow thinking about it. Oh, I can't believe they did that to me. And then you, you wake up in the morning, you're still thinking about it. You're eating breakfast thinking about it. You're driving to work. Okay, okay. You need to let it go. Just give it to God. Hand it over to God. Stop condemning this person. Just stop. Just don't condemn them. Let it go. So that you can get on with your life. Because this will, this will destroy you. This is, you let that keep going. You let that kind of anger build. You let that thing kind of just keep festering in your head. And, and it will consume you. It will consume you. You, you will be bitter and angry and every little thing that happens will just kind of like one more one more thing on the pile um, let the pile go don't, they're not worth it leave them in the hands of God give it to God if you really want to really if it's like you just you can't okay get a piece of paper or I don't care computer document whatever works for you Write it all down. 
everything. I mean everything, every look, every glance, every, every word, every, just write it all down. It could be your parents, you know, who knows who it could be that has so deeply offended you. Write it all down. Print it out. Get a big red magic marker and write, covered by the blood of Jesus. And burn it. Just let it go. Get, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Bitterness is you sitting around drinking poison hoping they get sick. They're not going to get sick. Your anger and, and all... Don't. Don't do it. Just, just separate yourself. From, release them from the demands of justice. That doesn't mean they didn't do it. That doesn't mean that what they did was right. It's not. It doesn't mean that they didn't lie or slander or who in the world knows what they did. It's not, you're not declaring them innocent of this. And you're not suggesting that they don't owe you an apology and that they shouldn't come and try to make it right or anything else. But you're letting it go. You're letting it go. And you're not letting it go for them. It's not for them. This is for you. This is so you can let it go, so you can walk away from this, so you can stop thinking about this, so you can get on with life and be thankful and and happy that God loves you, and, and you can offer grace and compassion and forgiveness to people. That's who you want to be. You want to be the person who is the bigger person. You're willing to pardon people. You're willing to release people. You're willing to just get on with life. And who are we trying to kid? Really? They can't treat me like that? Who am I to say that? Who am I to not be treated like that? I mean, I know who I really am. I look at my own heart. I I should be treated much worse than I'm treated. We all are guilty. And God is gracious to us. God has forgiven us. God has set aside what we have done. God doesn't treat us in accordance to how we think and act. If God gave us what we deserve, not a person in this place would live to get out the back door. God just pours out blessing and kindness and compassion and mercy on us. The sun rises on the just and on the unjust. And the rain falls on the evil and on the good. So we, to be God-like, we extend the kindness and mercy and compassion of God to those who don't deserve it. We don't sit in judgment on them. We don't condemn them. We let it go. Why? Because we're trying to uphold the standard of God. We're trying to act like God acts because this is how God acts. This, God doesn't rain down his judgment on people. Occasionally here and there. I mean, there's a few places in the Bible, Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah, Israel and Judah eventually. But in each of those cases, there was a long, God put up with that stuff for a long time. So we should be long-suffering, gentle, compassionate people who offer forgiveness, who teach that God is willing to forgive, and so are we. When we live like this, when we act like this, when we bring this to bear in our lives, people notice. People are 
vindictive, just in case you haven't observed that yet. People are envious and jealous and greedy, and they fight it. They, everybody kind of understands that's really not a good way to live, but do you really get victory over it? We as believers, in fact, should. We should truly pray that God will help us not act this way, that we be genuinely kind and compassionate and merciful, recognizing that, you know, that guy that cut you off in traffic, that you're just, boy, if you had a gun, you'd be ready to pull it out and shoot one of his tires out. Okay, you think you've never cut anybody off in traffic? You, why, you think you're the world's only perfect driver? That you have failed to notice that there was somebody right there in your blind spot when you changed lanes? You, you think you're the only person who's never done that? Of course, we've all done that. Do we want the person behind us, you know, tailgating us and flashing their lights and getting ready to pull us over and pull us out of the car and beat on us? Well, of course, we don't want people doing that. Well, yeah, okay, you know. We have to look and say, the sin that I'm so eager to condemn them for, am I, am I guilty of a, perhaps not the exact same thing, but a version of that? You know, maybe, maybe some compassion would be in order here. Maybe some kindness. Maybe some forgiveness. Maybe I should just let this go. Maybe I shouldn't condemn them. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't. That's exactly what this passage is teaching. It's exactly what Jesus is trying to say to us. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be nice to one another. He goes on and says, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. When it comes time for them, for people to give to you, I mean, they just pack it in there. They, no one's trying to rip you off. No one's trying to, you know, measure this thing out right down to the last little bit and make sure you don't get one sliver more than you're supposed to. Oh, no, we're going to pack it in there. We're going we're gonna, to, when they did this, you would actually put the grain between your legs and your robe, right? And they would, they would put it in there. And to get the maximum amount of grain in there, you'd actually, you know, poke your finger down in there and then fill the holes up where you po- poked your finger in until you just, you just had this tap down, packed in, Full and running over. That's, yeah, okay, that, that should be us with grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. That should be us. That should be us. And he gives this warning. The standard you set is the standard you'll be held to. So, if we are bitter and angry and judgmental and just rushing out and condemning everyone and, and we're, we're, while we're at it we're a little greedy and selfish and we don't, we're, we're not really generous whatsoever and we don't really care about the poor we don't really take care of people we, we uh, okay, well if that's the standard we set we better be careful because that's the standard we are going to be held to be careful about the standards you set Be careful about being the legalistic, narrow-minded, judgmental person who stands up and condemns everyone for everything they're doing. I knew knew a couple. The guy, they were, uh, no one in here knows any of these folks. The, The guy was pastoring a church, a church he had planted, and he was a great guy. Um, he is a great guy. I mean, I still know him. Winsome, funny, personable, just a great guy. Just, if you meet him, you'll like him. He's just one of those guys you like. And he married this woman. Not so much. Um, she had mm, issues. She was 
extremely um, right about everything. And whether you asked for her opinion or not, you, you probably got it. She was certain to let you know that she was right, and, well, you probably weren't. And uh, so they got this church going. He'd been at it, I don't know the exact numbers now, 10, 12 years. The church was, was doing pretty well. And, uh, well, you know, he's married to this woman. And she would go around, and she had no problem talking to every lady in the church and telling them what they were doing wrong and, and uh, how they could improve their lives. And she, uh, that's just who she was. Um, well, you can imagine being married to this lady, right? And those of you who are paying attention know exactly what I'm going to say next. I don't even have to say it. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And you'd be right. This guy kind of got tired of this marriage and uh, found himself pursuing a relationship with some other woman, not his wife. And he got caught as... Invariably, you do. Be sure your sin will find you out. And the church, the church, understandably, asked him to step down. Now, you know, I would like to tell you that the ladies of that church all just came around the wife and and in her moment of need and in her most devastating personal, emotional moment in which it was clear to her that her husband had cheated on her and And this was the moment for her church family to really gather around her and to comfort her and to have compassion on her and to be kind to her. I'd like to tell you they did that. They didn't. Uh, The fact is that the standard that she had set for 10 or 12 years, which was a standard of judgmental condemnation, came right back at her. And the fact is, the ladies of her church did not come around her, and they were not compassionate to her, and they were not kind to her. In fact, they all kind of made it clear to her that she probably caused this herself, and that be careful the standard you set. Be careful. We want to hold God's standards, and we want to encourage the people of the church, to hold God's standards. But even at that, we want to be kind. We want to be compassionate. We want to do even the upholding of God's standards. We want to strive to do this in a way that motivates people to love God more and to love each other more so that we are doing what God wants us to do because of gratitude to who God is. Pray God open your eyes if you are, in some area of your life, being that judgmental person. Because when you talk to judgmental people, none of them think they are, right? They're all just completely blind to it. It just passes them over. And if you told them that they were judgmental, that, man, would they judge you? You know, I mean, that's, They'd be so upset about it. So pray that, that God would open your eyes if that's you. And by the way, I don't know anybody in here that fits that description. I just, you know, I'm not... Not trying to give any hints here, okay? As far as I know, no one in this assembly has this problem. But I, I'm not with you 24 hours a day, so I don't really know. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But what I do know is that people who have this kind of problem are invariably blind to it. So we should have humility and ask that God would show us. And be careful. Be careful, the standards you set. Be careful. 
And there's a reason why, by the way, we let, we let the school park in our parking lot even though it takes the paint right off our parking lot. We want to be good neighbors. Who doesn't want to be good neighbors? We're trying to be understanding, kind, compassionate people. Set a standard of kindness. That's what Jesus does. He's kind to us. He's kind to the world. He's kind to sinners. He died for sinners. We can at least be nice to him, right? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would give us the wisdom we need to know how to represent you well in the world, to find that balance between knowing what sin is and offering forgiveness. Help us, Lord. Help us to know how to do that, how to stand for truth and yet still be kind and compassionate. It's a difficult line to walk in this sinful world with people who hate us and stand in judgment on us and are quick to condemn us just because we name your name. So help us figure out. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Help us to meditate and contemplate and think about these passages and may your spirit guide us in a way that we can love the world and still help them see the truth of the gospel. Help us to do that, Lord, in a way that you can use and that will gather those who you've chosen to enter into the kingdom. Help us to be part of that. Use our lives and this assembly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.